Welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams, and this is episode two. So I won't spend a lot of time right beforehand giving much of an introduction, but I will go ahead and say just for the sake of full transparency that this episode does discuss the possibility of sheep being used for more than just wool. So think for pelts and also for meat. So if this is something that bothers you, this may be one to skip. All right, now on to the show. So I'm really excited to have Kim Goodling with me today from Vermont Grandview Farm. Kim, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Oh, boy, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, How far back do you want me to go? As far back as you want to go. Well, I... um, My husband and I moved to Vermont about 30 years ago. We were looking for a place that we could live where I could stay at home once we had children, and Vermont seemed to be the place that we could do that. So uh, we raised three children. I homeschooled them all the way through from infancy to high school uh, and then launched them off into college. So I'm fairly new as being an empty nester. Um, When we were raising our children and they were much younger, we had a small homestead and we raised all our own food. We raised chickens for eggs and for meat. We raised pigs. We had a huge garden. And it was a big part of our life. And the house that we lived in did not have a barn, so we couldn't keep animals year-round. We didn't have a place to store hay, and we didn't really have adequate shelter for winter months. So we were sort of limited in what we could do. And that's when we began looking for other farms. And we ended up at this amazing little piece of land called Grandview Farm. Um, And once we moved here, we were able to get sheep and, you know, keep animals through the winter months because Grandview Farm in its day was a dairy farm. So there's an enormous old dairy barn that we use for the sheep and to store hay and uh, store tractor and different equipment and things. So it was just a really life-changing move for us and our family. And we really wanted to get sheep because I just, as a homeschool mom, I was constantly looking for ways that our children could learn more about life and about living through what we did as a family. You know, learning the skills that you can't get from a textbook and, you know, just really living a life that was full and rich. And I felt we had been doing that, but I just wanted to add a new element because I wanted to be able to raise 
animals from birth and I wanted my children to participate in that whole process. So that is really why we got sheep initially and that was about 15 years ago and we purchased a flock of Romney sheep and then after about 11 years um, I just wanted something a little bit different and a friend of mine had given a book to me called Pure Wool by Sue Blacker and Sue lives in England. She has a large flock of Gotland sheep, and she also runs and owns a fiber mill that specializes in pure breed yarns. And this was a book she had written about the different breeds that their mill processes. And when I came to the chapter on Gotland, I remember I was sitting there reading it one April evening on my sofa, and I peered over the edge of the book and looked at my husband and said, I want these. And he, he said, what is that? You know, we had never heard of Gotland sheep before, but I was just mesmerized by the description that I read. She talked a lot about um, not just their wool properties and qualities, but about their hardiness and their instinctual mothering characteristics and their friendly personality and they were also a smaller breed considerably smaller than our Romney sheep and as we began to realize that our helpers were going to be leaving home you know the appeal of having a smaller breed was something that really hit home to us you know sure. they're a smaller breed is easier to pick up, they're easier to handle, they take up less room, they eat less food. You know, there were just lots of benefits in going for a smaller breed. So it was then that I began researching. I really knew absolutely nothing about them. I didn't even know that they were not readily available in the U.S. So that's sort of how we ended up with the Gotland sheep. Um, and then I guess another piece of what we do and, and what I am as a person is before I had children, I was a public school teacher for a few years. And once I started educating my own children through homeschooling, I was no longer in the public school arena. But our farm really became an education center. And especially in those early years when my children were here, we ran so many workshops on our farm and we hosted a week-long summer camp for children and we did that for about five years in a row. And those were really sweet and wonderful years. And my children helped me. They were teachers themselves. You know, when we did the summer camp for kids, my children worked with the children that came to the camp. And then alongside of that, I ran a mom's camp and I worked with the moms. So it was just a great time. We did a lot of um, what you would call agritourism events. We hosted tours. We had all day, we called them fiberathon events, all day fiber events on the farm. We did scavenger hunts on the farm. We did all kinds of things just to bring people here. And it was a big piece of what we did. And then once my children got older and they went to college, 
I realized hosting those large events wasn't as easy for me because I was doing it by myself or with my husband. So now we still try to keep that educational element on the farm. I do mostly custom retreats or private classes for people. So my my groups tend to be a little bit smaller than what we were doing before. And I'm also currently working on designing some online classes that I can offer to people to support them and their farm work and what they're doing and how they're marketing their farm. So that's another way that I can use my teaching skills and reach out to people who are not local to our area, who perhaps would like to take a workshop, but they can't because they live too far away. So that's sort of in a nutshell, who I am and what I do. (laughs) That is massively impressive. I have to say that I just feel like everything you just said is everything I aspire to. Like Uh, that is, that is amazing. I love the fact that you guys were able to be completely self-sufficient, which honestly, when I think of Vermont, that really comes to my mind. It feels yeah. like that's really part of the culture there. Yes. Um, and then as well as just kind of, you know, really ingratiating yourself within the fiber like aspect of it. That's really, really interesting. Now, I know you said that um, that the Gotland breed wasn't a breed that was very readily available um, at that time in the U.S. So where did you guys, did you find a source? We did. um, At the time, I believe it was in 2003, when the first Gotland Sheep Genetics entered into the U.S. I would have to double check that date, but I think that's right. And there was a group of breeders long before I ever knew what Gotland sheep were who became interested in the breed and wanted to bring the breed to the U.S., but you are not allowed to import a live sheep, so you have to import semen. Mm -hmm. So this group began working towards doing that, and first, uh, the first imports of Scotland semen, I believe the first ones came from England, and then some followed from New Zealand, and then finally Swedish uh, semen, Gotland semen, was brought into the country. And so basically what you do is you begin what's called an upbreeding program, and that's when you take semen from 100% Gotland ram, and you artificially inseminate a ewe of a different breed. And this committee approved 10 different breeds that they were going to allow you to use for artificial insemination. So when you take 100% ram and you breed it with a 0% Gotland ewe, the offspring is 50% Gotland and 50% whatever the mother was. You know, whether that was mm-hmm. Shetland or Border Lester or Blueface Lester, or Icelandic, you know. So now you have a 50% Gotland U, and you take that 50% Gotland U, and you artificially inseminate her with 100% Gotland semen. Her offspring are 75%. So you can see it takes many years to work your percentages up to the point where you have a high percentage. Gotland sheep. 
but that's the process that had begun in the United States. And by the time we entered into it, the highest percentages, I believe, were around 96 percent, 95, 96 percent. So I felt like we were really fortunate in coming into the Gotland world when a lot of that really hard groundwork had already happened. Yeah. You know, these, these breeders had been working a long time and it's extremely expensive to do this. I think a lot of people aren't aware of the expense. Importing semen is extremely expensive and it takes many, many months for the whole process from saying, oh, I would like to import semen to then actually having it in your hand. It's a, a very long process. Then the procedure to artificially inseminate the ewes can be very costly. And so it's, it's not an inexpensive proposition. Um, usually, I believe breeders that are doing artificial insemination will get anywhere from a 70% take rate. Some of them are getting 100% take rate. So just because you artificially inseminate a ewe is not a guarantee that she is going to then have viable lambs in the end. So there are a lot of different variables that play into that, but we found a breeder on the West Coast in Oregon. Her name is Carol Ronan, and her farm is called Ronan Country Fibers. And she was one of the original people on this committee who wanted to bring the Gotland breed to the U.S. She was very knowledgeable and very helpful to us. So we ended up purchasing two high percentage rams. They were between 95 and 96%. And then we purchased three ewes from her, put them on a trailer in December, or actually they got on the trailer in November and finally made it to our farm three weeks later, which was mid-December. And our plan was and still is to do natural breeding as much as we can and then occasionally do artificial insemination and we're at the point where we've realized that now we really need to do some artificial insemination because to get closer to the true Gotland characteristics that you want to see in terms of the fleece and the body conformation you really need to be using a hundred percent Gotland semen in order to bring those qualities into your farm wow that is that is amazing that's something i didn't realize i mean I, i'd heard of actually shipping semen over but that whole process i guess that's a lot more labor intensive than i would have guessed but yeah, yeah. It, it it really is and i think a lot of people aren't aware of that but i just want to interject a very quick little story so we shipped these very expensive sheep across the United States, took them three weeks to get here, and we had to meet the driver of the trailer in the village, which is six miles away from the farm because it was too snowy for him to get to the farm. And in transferring one of the groups from his trailer onto our truck, one ram escaped. <laughs> oh, no. And he took off running full speed down Main Street. You know, 
And just picture this classic, beautiful New England village with the little white steeple church and the little schoolhouse and the little general store and the post office with the flag out front. And we are running all over town chasing this ram. And I'm thinking, oh my word, this ram survived a 3,000 mile trip and now he's going to die on Main Street. Oh. <laughs> but. So, you know, just because they arrived, the stress didn't end, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming you caught him, though, correct? We did. It was a community effort, and we ended up catching him on the town, the uh, town clerk's office porch. And the town clerk came out to help us corner him. So we finally got him, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that made everybody's day. <laughs> like a little bit of excitement is, you know, that's, always something people like. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. So about the kind of getting into more of the specifics about their fiber, can you speak a little bit about like its unique properties? Sure. <clears throat> Gauntlet wool is very interesting it does not have a crimp like most sheep breeds have. Instead, it has curl and it has a lot of luster to it. So it's very shiny, individual curls, ringlet curls. And that's the main thing that sets it apart from a lot of other breeds. So when you process the wool, if you're processing it into yarn, the fabric that you either knit or weave has a lot of drape and luster to it. So, you know, if you envision like a Cormo or Romney or CVM that the yarn is really squishy, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, yes. it has the squishiness to it. Gotland yarn is not that way. And it's, you know, it lacks that squishiness, but what it does offer is this beautiful drape. And I have used it to knit hats and shawls and sweaters. And it really is quite lovely. And the challenge though that we're finding is a lot of the mills in the United States are having trouble processing it because of these qualities. Because it has so much luster and it doesn't have the crimp, it wants to fall out of their carding machines. Oh. And so a lot of the mills are having trouble with this. And it, it takes a very skilled mill, I think, in my opinion, to be able to handle it and know how to work with it. Um, and actually what we've ended up doing, what I was finding was the mill I'm using was able to spin it into yarn, but she was having trouble with consistency from year to year. And I wanted to have that consistency in the yarn and how it was spun. So she suggested that we blend it with silk because silk has a lot of the same properties as the Gotland. It has a lot of luster, it has a lot of drape to it when it's knit, and it has a lot of that silky feel that you have with a Gotland yarn. 
And she said, if we just do a 10 or 20% blend, the silk is going to help it hold in my uh, carding machine during processing. And then I can control the consistency from year to year much better. So that's actually what we've been doing. And the yarn is just beautiful. When you blend the gotlin with the silk, it almost gives the yarn a tweed look because, oh. you know, the silk is white and the, the fiber is a shade of gray. So you almost have a tweedy look to it once it's been knit. So that's the main difference between the Gotland. The other thing in terms of raising the breed, we live in a very cold climate and we have winter for a good five months out of the year, it seems. And what I discovered was that Gotland sheep do not grow their curls in cold climate in the winter. And what happens when I shear them in the fall, if the weather isn't bitter cold yet, they will grow maybe one or two inches of curl. And then as soon as the really cold weather sets in, they stop growing curl. And instead, they grow a white fuzzy undercoat that comes in underneath the curl. And it will not get very long. I mean, my winter fleeces are three, at the most, three to four inches in length. It depends. Their length really depends on how much curl they can get in before the cold weather grow comes in, you know. Wow. And so they have this winter coat. And when you shear it off of them, it almost comes off in a blanket. Whereas when you shear them in the fall from having their summer growth, they're coming off in these individual ringlet curls. But in the winter, it comes off in this big blanket because that undergrowth is holding it together. Now, people who are raising them in warmer climates are not finding that winter coat like I am. And when I first began to see it, I started doing all this research. I thought I had a mineral imbalance and I thought they were not getting enough copper in their diet because they are a breed that can tolerate and actually need a little bit more copper than some other breeds. And I ended up taking a lot of photographs and I sent them to a sheep breeder on Gotland Island who I had met when my husband and I traveled there in 2015 and I said, Dan, what is happening to my Gotland sheep? You know, what am I doing wrong? And he said, Kim, that's called a winter coat. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so that is something interesting. The other interesting thing about the breed is that the lambs are born solid black and they have a solid black coat and that's called their lamb fleece. And as they grow within the first couple months, underneath that black coat, they begin to grow their gray curls and it kind of lifts the black coat off. Like if I'm out in the barn holding one of the little lambs, I can get covered in these little black hairs because they're starting to come off as the gray curls are coming underneath. So they are born with this black lamb fleece that they kind of shed as they get older and then comes out these beautiful shades of gray curl. So they're really a fascinating breed. 
Yeah, I actually am really excited to try it. I learned recently that the all the cloaks in the Lord of the Rings movies were made from Gotland wool. And mm. I thought that was a really interesting fact. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I really I really do want to kind of get that. It's not a breed I've ever tried. It's not a breed I really knew about until honestly, yeah. until I stumbled across your Instagram page. So yeah. I, I'm just really fascinated with it. And uh, another thing that I have seen is that they're smooth on their face and their legs. So do you have to shear those parts or can you just shear the body? Well, that was a characteristic that really drew me to the breed is it's called having a clean face. They have no wool growth on their face or their legs and on their belly. They only get a very short uh length fiber length so in the winter their belly wool may only be two inches long whereas when i was raising romney sheep that belly wool could be six inches long you know and they have a lot of wool on their legs some of the romneys will have some wool on their face and in my climate i just found that a little bit challenging because by the end of the season you know, we go through winter and then we have this fifth season called mud season. And <laughs> you just envision a sheep that has this long wool underneath them. You know, it was getting caked with mud and matted. And, you know, I just I just really was attracted to the cleaner look of the Gotland sheep. So, no, you don't have to shear those. They do not grow long wool on their legs or their face. Well, that's nice. And even with the belly wool being shorter, too, I know that some of those areas, including legs and the belly and even the face, those can be really tricky to shear. Um, right. Right. Now, we, we talked a little bit about your property being a host to a lot of different workshops. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones that really caught my eye is that you have one specifically about the Gotland genetics. And yes. so I'm curious what kinds of topics you cover in those workshops. Well, this is a workshop with a Swedish woman named Annette Skoog. And Annette is a trained vet from Sweden who now lives in the United States. And when she lived in Sweden, she and her husband had a farm and they raised cattle and Gotland sheep. And now they are living in the U.S. and she is very interested in seeing the Gotland breed really take off in the United States and very interested in helping Gotland breeders uh, select their breeding stock for true Gotland characteristics. So she has been traveling through the U.S. hosting these workshops for people who are either breeding Gotland sheep or they're just interested in it. In Sweden, they actually have a national evaluation system where they evaluate the lambs when they are 90 to 120 days old. And I believe they evaluate them on like four or five different characteristics and they take their breeding extremely seriously in sweden these sheep are raised as pelt sheep so these lambs are going on to be slaughtered their meat is sold for food they're 
pelts are then processed and used for all kinds of amazing things. They make clothing with them. They will upholster chairs and stools. They're used as rugs, blankets. They, the women in Sweden are just amazing at what they do with these pelts. So there, their main market for these sheep is their pelt. So that is a real concern of theirs in breeding. They are only breeding those lambs that have top quality pelts. And there are certain characteristics that these pelts need to have. They need to have the luster. They need to have the proper curl. The color needs to be consistent from head to tail and from side to side. Um, the curls need to be individual. They can't be kind of matted together with crosshairs. So there are all kinds of these characteristics that they evaluate them for, and they only choose their top 10% to go on and be breeding stock for them. So Annette is traveling, trying to educate people a little bit about some of these characteristics so that American breeders can learn how to select their breeding stock so that they are gaining quality and uniformity and color in their curls and in the wool type. And she's also teaching breeders how to set up their breeding programs so that they're able to identify some of the less desirable traits. So that's what this workshop is going to be about this summer. That particular workshop, when I saw that online, I thought that just seemed so above and beyond what you normally see in a typical workshop on mm -hmm. a farm at all, that it's something that really delves into more of the specifics and kind right. of caters caters to people who are interested. So I love that. I think that's yeah. so fascinating. And your property too also has a farm stay element. And does that go all year? It does. My husband and I have always wanted to run a small bed and breakfast. And when we saw this property, we realized that it was set up perfect to do this. And our house is actually two houses that were built side by side. The farmhouse suite that we rent out was the original house, and it was built in the late 1700s. And then in 1850, they added on the other side of the house. And so it was just a perfect setup for us to be able to rent one side of the house out and still maintain our privacy on the other side. So we are open year round. However, most of our guests are in the spring, summer, and fall. We got a few that kind of trickle through and are brave enough to come in the winter. <laughs> but most of them start coming in the spring because they want to see the lambs. But the winter is really quite magical and can be very spectacular here as well. Um, you know, we've got snowshoeing right out our front door. We've got snowmobile trails about an eighth of a mile down the road from us. So it's really a quite lovely location for winter as well. But yes, we have, we do keep that open year round. 
That's amazing. I want to go. I think if you <laughs> wouldn't mind me living there for a little while, I think I'd just pack up and head right over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always welcome to come. I think yeah. I'm really going to have to push my husband into that. Oh, well, I don't think it'll take much pushing. He loves yeah. spending time on farms, but yeah. that's definitely, I'm going to put that on the list. Yeah. And we did hint kind of earlier on that the Gotland sheep, so they came from Sweden, from what I believe is actually an island called Gotland Island and you've been there and I would love to know what it's like and if you're going to go back. Well we went in 2015 and we were new to having Gotland sheep and we had the opportunity to go to Europe because our daughter was studying at a university in Germany And when we were planning our trip to go visit her, she said, you know, once you're over here, it's really inexpensive to travel within Europe. She said, is there anywhere else you'd want to go? And I said, can we go to Gotland? And she said, oh, definitely we could do that. So we added that onto our trip to Germany. So we were only on Gotland Island about four or five days. And it was just one of the most wonderful places. I'm sure I was a little bit biased because I own <laughs> Scotland sheep. <laughs> but I just found the people there to be just very warm and welcoming and just wonderful people. You know, we were very open with them we told them that we were starting our own flock of sheep and we were there to see the real thing touch the real thing and talk to people that were raising them and what was so interesting is i had been posting on instagram you know okay i'm going to germany here i am in frankfurt here i am with my daughter now we're going to gotland island here i am in frankfurt again here i am in stockholm And I had a woman who was following my Instagram feed who lived on Gotland Island. Her name is Anita. And when we got off the airplane on Gotland Island, it's this teeny tiny little bitty airport. We're getting off the plane with all these other obviously Swedish people. And they're being greeted by their friends and family. And I turned and looked at my husband and said, no one is going to be here to greet us. And we went and got our luggage. And after we got our luggage, I looked up and there was a woman walking through the front door of the airport. She held her arms out, gave me this big hug and said, Cam, it's you. (laughs) And this was this woman, Anita. She had been following me for the past few days. She knew what time my plane was going to arrive on Gotland, and she was there to welcome us. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. It is amazing. She brought us a little cooler bag with food. She had a uh, typical Swedish um, pudding that she had made for us. I won't even try to pronounce the name. I'm sure I'll do it wrong. And she had maps. She had already outlined our first day of travel on the island. She had called a friend of hers who owned sheep and was a sheep shearer and had scheduled an appointment for us to go to his farm. And she was just amazing. 
and that was our introduction with him being there for five minutes and I'm like oh my word I love this place <laughs> <laughs> and so we go to this farm that she had arranged for us to go to and they were so welcoming and so helpful we were there about four hours and in the end we at, were at their farm store which was down the road from their farmhouse and the husband also raises wheat and he had made these special crackers with his wheat so we're sitting there eating this meal with these crackers and tea and we're laughing and we're sharing stories about farming and you never would have known that we lived on opposite sides of the ocean you never would have guessed that we didn't know each other at all and in the end, as we were leaving, he said, it doesn't matter what country you come from, what language you speak, or what religion you are. He said, people just need something in common. And he said, for us, it's sheep. Amazing. And I just was so touched by that, you know, and he, he threw his hand up and waved as we drove away. So that was three years ago. Well, I've continued to stay in touch with two in particular of the farms that we went to, and I've continued to stay in touch with Anita, and I've met some other Swedish, dear Swedish friends that now live on Gotland. And so we are actually taking a group back to Gotland Island this June, Ever since I left, I knew I would be back and I wanted to take other people because I just wanted to share. I mean, that's the teacher in me, you know, yeah. I just wanted to share this with other people because it was so amazing. So finally, after three years, we've pulled together this tour. I'm working with a travel agent and we're taking a group of 12 people including my husband and I, over in June. And the whole focus is just going to be on the agricultural life on Gotland Island and the history there. So we will be staying in a farmhouse for the full week. And this farm that we're staying on has a flock of Gotland sheep. And then we will be visiting several different farms, some of, our, some of which are the same ones that we saw three years ago. And we'll also spend quite a bit of time in the walled city of Visby. And we'll get to see a lot of the Viking ruins that are on the island. And we're just going to explore it from one end to the next. And I think it's just going to be awesome. It sounds magical. That sounds like yeah. such an amazing type of retreat, especially for somebody who's a fiber enthusiast or just a sheep enthusiast or just likes to travel, honestly. Well, it's interesting. Initially, my thought was I wanted to attract Gotland breeders because it's so valuable for Gotland breeders to see the real thing, you know, to see these flocks of 100% Gotland sheep. It's when I was there and I saw these sheep, I'm like, oh my goodness, these are the most beautiful creatures I've ever seen. They were unlike any Gotland sheep I'd seen in the U.S., they were just amazing. But what's interesting, the tour has attracted a lot of different kinds of people. Out of the 12, I think only four 
my husband and I, and one other couple actually own and raise Gotland sheep. The other people have come to it through different interests. You know, some of them are very interested in Viking history. Some are avid knitters and they love to knit with different breeds of wool. And some of them just love sheep. And I had one person say, well, I like to travel to exotic islands and I've never been to Gotland, you know? Wow. (laughs) it, It really is a mix of people. It's not just sheep breeders that are going. And I think that's going to make the trip even more interesting. Yeah, because you'll have everyone with their different kind of areas of expertise and their different, well, hobbies and things like that. That sounds Mm -hmm. just so wonderful. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show to go through all this with us. Your passion is totally infectious. And (laughs) I seriously cannot wait to get my hands on some of your yarn. So if anyone else is interested in grabbing some of that or learning more about you, where can they find you? Well, we have a farm website. It's grandviewfarmvt.com. And on the website, there's a link there to the farm store. There's a link for farm events and workshops. And there's a link for farm stays. So it's all in one place. I do also keep a blog. It's called Living with Gotlands. And I've been writing this blog for about 14 years, and it's it's a little bit different from where I began. I started just kind of journaling what we were doing on our farm, but it's really become an instructional blog. I have a lot of information there about raising sheep in general and animal husbandry. So those are the main places that you can find the most information about us. Amazing. And I'll go ahead. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. And then I'll include your Instagram as well, because there's some really lovely photos on there. Kim, thank you so much for taking the time today. It was such a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. I will go ahead and link to Kim's information, including her website and her Instagram in the show notes, as well as other links to information that we've discussed on this episode today. You can find these show notes at www.woolanddye.com slash podcast, and I will see you next week.